Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello, dear listener, and welcome back to Owning It, the Anxiety Podcast with me, Caroline Ford. This week, I have a guest called Brian Falduto. He is the host of the Gay Life Coach Podcast, also probably most prominently known as, quote unquote, that gay kid from School of Rock. He was a child actor. He is a life coach these days. He's a singer-songwriter. He does many things. So Brian reached out to me and asked me to be on his podcast because he's a fan of this podcast and he wanted to share his experience of anxiety. And we got to talking and realized that maybe our conversation could have appear on both of our podcasts so there is a little bit in this episode of me talking through my story my background which I know you've heard all before but then Brian shares with me his story his experience which is just so interesting and really quite a recent thing for him so it's only been in the last year that the anxiety really came to a head for him and he's been forced to confront it and no longer be in denial about it and the extent at which it was impacting his life negatively so we have a great chat around anxiety in general the reasons why we're struggling perhaps more with it these days so many different mindset changes and things that have helped us the language changes as well as sharing both of our stories so far I think this is probably one of the longer podcasts that I've done and that I could have just spoke to Brian for so long he just has such a beautiful way of articulating things and I, I need say no more I will hand it over now to our chat and hope that you get something from it thank you as always for listening thank you for the reviews and the feedback and for sharing it with anyone who you think it might be relevant for or helpful for I always so massively appreciate it I'm so excited to talk to you. Basically, we're doing an episode around anxiety for my podcast and your podcast is about anxiety. Yeah. This past summer, the anxiety I was dealing with got really difficult. I started to like admit that it was difficult and that I was having a hard time with it. And I was like, I really need to, I think, just start taking a more owning it approach to this. Mm -hmm. And it's so funny because I literally just typed into Google Podcasts or Apple Podcasts. I was like uh, owning your anxiety and your podcast came right up. 
And there it was four seasons of everything I could possibly need to listen to, to feel better about my situation. I, I got my, I've gotten my therapist hooked on it a little bit too. I, <gasps> I shared some episodes with him. God, you um, were spreading me all over the US. That is amazing. <laughs> I told him I'm talking to you today and I'm just like so excited because Aww. it's, it's really, it's been really pivotal. Thank you. It's like I said, before we started recording, just it, it's incredible to, you know, the, the goal is if, if one person can be helped in their day or helped better understand their anxiety or feel less like it's something that they need to obliterate from their life or get rid of, then that's my job done. Mm-hmm. And for you to say that it's been pivotal for you is like, you know, no amount of accolades will ever match up to having that impact on someone. So like, mm-hmm. thank you so much for reaching out to me. I know you said that you were excited, but like, obviously I'm a School of Rock fan. So <laughs> I had my own little fangirl why moment. Is, why do you say obviously? That's not, it is a good movie, I'll admit, but I, it's obvious. Is not it? obvious? I mean, I just think everyone has seen it and everyone loves it. How could you not know? Like, if you've seen it, you love it. I did luck out. It is a, it, I don't know. I have not met someone who's like, that's a terrible movie. You know, it's, Unless a, it's they're a, good... a terrible person. <laughs> There's no way. Let me start by asking you, um, what are you grateful for? Oh, I am grateful for, in the context of what we're talking about, I really am grateful for the horrible time I had with anxiety. It took me a long time to say that. But now looking back, I realize how much it was a signal for me to like open the lines of communication between my mind and my body, uh, which were shut before then. I think Mm. they are shut for so many people. And I'm grateful for the incredible level of self-awareness I have sometimes to my own detriment that and because of that anxiety that I know when something is too much for me or when I know I need to take a step back or when to push myself I'm really grateful for the education I've been given through a shit time to know more about myself what what works for me what doesn't I really am grateful that I had that experience so young in life as well because now it's sort of sharpened my focus towards that which what matters and what doesn't so for example you know, a lot of my friends are so laser focused on career stuff to, to the detriment of their well-being. And mm. it's all like, well, how much money can I make? And I, because I was burned, I suppose, by anxiety and, it, you know, my well-being became such a high priority. It, it became so hard for me to get back to a point of being well. Once I got there, now that I am well, like that is my that's the biggest metric for success for me. And I wouldn't have had that awareness had I not had anxiety. So in, in one way. I am most grateful for that. Obviously, I'm grateful for like my child and stuff. <laughs> but he's a whole other conversation. Yeah. Well, no, thank you for sharing. Yeah. I mean, I think your very first episode of your podcast, and by the way, I'm just going to encourage my listeners to listen one more time because mm-hmm. it's just a treasure trove of, of if you're struggling with anxiety, it's where you should go, in my opinion. Um, but the first episode, you do such a good job at, I don't know, validating the struggle, you know, cause yeah. it's a struggle. And similarly to everything else I've come out about everything else that I've owned in my life, the important part of it is that someone else thinks that they're the only one. Right. Mm-hmm. And then you have to talk about it so that that person doesn't feel alone anymore. You know, it's, it's very important. And this specifically yeah. is so important to talk about. I think it's such a huge like top heavy layer of anxiety that people experience whatever about what you're going through that's specific to you or you know maybe you're in a situation where you're being bullied in school or in work or you know you you are in the middle of a big life change I think everyone experiences the added layer of 
what will people think of me? Why am I, why am I not coping when everyone else appears to be? And I think the more we normalize it and talk about it and realize that anxiety is something that we're all capable of feeling. We all have a stress response. No, you know, if you don't, if you're, if you're not capable of feeling anxious, you're not a human being, Yeah. you know, if you take away the top layer of anxiety there in terms of like, so what, like everyone feels it, it's not, it's not, you know, you're not a weirdo for having, for dealing with anxiety, then that takes the anxiety down several notches because it's just Mm -hmm. that, that fear of judgment and what people think of you and the, the irony of feeling like, you know, you're the only one in the world when, when that vulnerability is common to us all. Yeah. And when we share that away and we allow for that vulnerability, how much that already takes the anxiety and like dissolves it. Mm-hmm. It's so important. And I was really nervous doing that first episode. I had never podcasted before. Yeah. I didn't have anything, any experience in terms of like a structure. I said, I'm just going to try and articulate what I went through, which to me for so long, I struggled to justify it for so long. I felt like I had no good reason to have experienced anxiety to the extent that I did. I was ashamed. I was embarrassed for a long time that like, I just couldn't cope in a world where everyone would say, well, sure, you've got everything going for you. And what reason do you have to feel anxiety? And I just figured eventually, maybe I'm not the only person who feels this way, who are grappling with the anxiety that they don't deserve to be feeling the anxiety that they're feeling, which adds mm-hmm. another layer of anxiety onto it. Yeah. Yeah. It's like an onion There's all these different layers. When you, when you peel it back, there's so much going on and it's not just like, well, the job is causing anxiety. So just leave the job. It's not. Yeah. It's never that simple. You can correct me if I say anything that you feel is out of line with what you know about anxiety, right? Because I also don't want to ever undermine the severity of someone's personal experience with anxiety, right? Because there are, we all experience it in different ways, but it is very much the monster under the bed in a lot of ways in that much like you, all the research that I've done on it and the self-work and the, the ways in which I've been curious about it. Once you learn what it actually is, it's really nothing to be afraid of. I agree. It's a very biological, normal thing that's happening inside of your brain and your body. Um, And to be honest, I think that if you're not experiencing anxiety in the world in which we currently live to a degree I'd be a little more concerned about you because it's a it's a very anxious world. I completely agree with everything you're saying. I think once you confront the anxiety and you understand the mechanics of it and how it works and why it's happening for you, that is more than half the battle and it takes the horns off it in a, in a way. And I also believe that I've recently been changing another element of my mindset around anxiety and like, you know, we all we all are owning our anxiety to a certain extent, but we, we all would like not to feel it. I mean, let's be honest. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But when you think about our ancestors and, and cavemen, cavewoman days, the people, we come from a long line of worriers and overthinkers and overanalyzers. And they were we the wouldn't smart, survive. Yeah, they were the anxiety. smart people. The people yeah. who were super chilled and laid back and never had a care in the world. They were the ones who got eaten by the saber-toothed tiger when they were just mm-hmm. chilling on the savannah one day. Mm-hmm. They were, you know, we, so that's not good. We were the smart ones. We have managed to sustain life up until now. And, and that is something to be proud of and be like, well, you know, that's the reason we're here is because we were, we overthought situations to know to get out of harm's way. And yes, sometimes our minds are a little bit overvigilant or hypervigilant when they don't need to be, but we're working with ancient circuitry there that you have to work with and not against. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know if you're into Glennon Doyle's work at all. I, I'm familiar. Okay. I love the way she describes, cause she's just friends with a lot of artists and creatives as am I, and I am one. And I love the way that she talks about how most of the people she knows has to some degree what society would label as mental illness. And she's like, 
I'm not even remotely interesting and interested in having conversations with people who aren't slightly mentally ill. If these <laughs> are the mentally ill people, right? If these exactly. if these things that we're experiencing, which are very normal reactions to uh, normal and uh, normal is a terrible word, right? But just sensitive reactions, um, uh, heartfelt reactions, emotional reactions yeah. to this world that we're living in. You know, it's. Um, yeah, I, I just love the way that she phrases it. And she's been super helpful in validating all this for me as well. I mean, the, the truth of it is that I think what, what she's probably getting at is that like, it's more the minority of people who don't experience it. So we need to like, let go of the feeling of being othered by anxiety. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I want to just give my listeners a little bit more of a background on you. Okay. You said you had never done a podcast before your first episode, but you had written a book, right? I had written two books and now there's like four you gotta chill out bro yeah <laughs> so there's there's three published books and then I made a journal based on like a court more of like a workbook based on the first book so the first okay. book was about very much about anxiety and, and how, like it was that was called owning it over here it's called own it in the U.S. for some reason what do you make of that it's, it's really annoying because people who follow me from America or Canada will see me post about my book in the UK and Ireland and they'll go and buy both of them. And I'm like, no, they're the same. Except for how I, how I spell the word color is different. And then the same with my second book was called the confidence kit here. But in America, they were like, let's call this, you got this. And I was like, okay, but they're the same book as well. So it is so interesting. a different cover. It's yeah. But it's, I think it's just a little bit more like in Ireland, our vibe wouldn't be as you got this. It would be more uh, your grand you know, we, we were not as punch the air positive as I think they wanted the book to be in America. Well, that's, that's actually a great point. Cause when I'm experiencing anxiety, what I no longer tell myself is you've got this. I've changed my mind. My inner mantra is now you're okay. Yeah. Cause sometimes you don't got it and it's fine. You don't have to go get it. The, the, the anxiety usually comes from the pressure to go get it. You know, <laughs> exactly. I know. Like I say, some days you're not owning it. You're just renting it. Was it intimidating writing the book while you were still sort of because I even these podcast episodes, it's, it's it, for me, it's intimidating, like approaching topics right when I don't I don't have most things figured out. Right. So sometimes the podcast episode is me still figuring things out in real time, you know, so yeah. It's, and I, and I say that all the time, like to this day, you know, like I'm not the expert on figuring things out. It's like, oh, we're always learning. And I just set that up from from page one. I just said, listen, I'm not an expert. I'm I'm going to share what has worked for me and what hasn't worked for me, what I have learned from different experts and just try to, like I say, bridge that gap between these neuroscientific texts and these you know, people who are really struggling. I've always been very clear about that, that, look, I'm not saying this is what you need to do. I'm saying this is what helped me. I don't mm -hmm. know. I can't say for sure that it will help you. So I didn't find it intimidating once I kind of set that out. And I did, I did think that it would go against me because I'm not a, I'm not an expert, but actually it worked in my favor because people wanted to hear from someone who they could relate to, who, you know, they were like, Oh, well, she's just like me. She's just trying to go about her day and her work life. And I so wanted, I wanted so desperately to hear from someone who had felt the full brunt of anxiety to the extent that I had and who came out the other side and said, like, I manage it really well now. And I promise you that you will too. I just, I would have paid millions to, for that. I don't have millions. <laughs> yeah. I would have done it. I would have found it for someone to give me that reassurance. So I just figured that if I really needed that, then other people might as well. 
but to be honest people like people always say oh, it must have been so hard to share so much because I I mean I share everything like I'm very much an open book but it, I never find that intimidating because it's a coping mechanism of mine to share and when I share I guess I'm craving and I'm looking for reassurance from other people who will say oh my god me too I have felt the same and that gives me so much strength and that helps me to further normalize it so I've always really gravitated towards sharing and toward putting my hand up and saying, Hey, is this just me or anybody else? And thankfully, you know, people have responded in in their droves to say, you know, wow, I'm the exact same. A question I've been wanting to ask you, um, when in your very first episode, I remember, <laughs> I feel like a stalker, but, uh, mm-hmm. you, uh, you said that you were very passionate about finding a bullshit free approach to, handling anxiety. Mm. Um, and I think one of the things you quoted as being like, you weren't invalidating it by any means, but you quoted it as being maybe not something you were interested in at the moment was like the chakras, for example. Right. Um, uh, because it's, it's, you wanted something a little more to the core. Mm -hmm. Um, but then your podcast over the four seasons or however many episodes there's been now has really explored all the different corners of approaching anxiety. Um, yeah. Has your philosophy changed on what works at all or? Not really. My philosophy is still very much like stop trying to get rid of it. Stop trying to cure it. Start like the assess and address approach, which is the foundation of my book and really the foundation of my podcast is to assess. So to understand what is anxiety, why am I feeling it? Why is this happening for me in particular? And then address is all the different things we can do to help calm the anxious response down. And then within the address part, you can open it up to whatever works for you. So for me, I needed to really rebalance my hormones and and help myself sleep again. And and like getting up and saluting the sun was just not going to cut it for me at the time. I needed something really, I, I needed to really go back to basics of, you know, eat and sleep. And I needed medication as well at the time because I just could not get my head above water. But then if someone is, you know, at a point of just managing it and being well, but wanting to keep things in check and taking a moment there for themselves, then it can be anything and everything, whatever works for you, as long as it's, you know, safe and legal, because I've realized that's, and I talk about this, I do have a chapter in my first book where I look at some different kind of alternative therapies and really it doesn't matter what you're doing because as long as it has the effect of down-regulating your stress response, then everything has the same goal. Mm -hmm. So for me, it's understanding it first. There's no point in trying to slap a yoga class on the end of your day when you (laughs) have so much stress and you don't understand, you know, you're not going to get anywhere or trying to have a self-care moment when like there's smoke coming out of your ears. You need to start by assessing it and understanding what you're dealing with, why it's happening, how normal it is, how the physiology, all of that education piece is so important. And only then will you benefit from addressing it. Yeah. And when you address it, that can be anything from, you know, CBT, it can be just having less caffeine in your day, or it can be lighting up your chakras or whatever works for you. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I got I get a little emotional because I was about to say, I was about to agree with you that the addressing part is so important. And I, there's emotion behind that for me just because the understanding of what it is truly was probably one of the more pivotal mm-hmm. moments in my dealing with it. In that, um, you know, I feel like I spent so long afraid of even being diagnosed with anxiety, which to this day, I, I have not been on like a clinical level right but it's Mm -hmm. like um it even regardless it was like this uh this fear that there's something wrong with me right um and in reality there's something very right with me (laughs) you know Um, know. uh, so it's uh the addressing part is so 
important. So that's the assess part is to try and understand and then the address of the things that you do to oh, help yes, yes, bring yes. it down. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that fear of like, and you mentioned there about like a clinical diagnosis and obviously there's a whole framework in, in medical world of people being diagnosed and being told they have this disorder, that disorder. I have always shied away from that person because I think a good majority of people won't apply to everyone, but a good majority of your listeners and my listeners maybe don't have a disorder, but just are prone to anxious thinking or anxious spirals yeah. or anxious patterns. And if you apply a label onto someone <laughs> that says, you know, oh, you have this anxiety disorder, you might take that as kind of a sentencing to be like, I can never be anything but this, or it might define you. And for me, mm-hmm. anxiety is something that pops up now and again in my life. It does not define my life now that I'm yeah. at a point of managing it. And I think sometimes those labels can can go against people and i think i really want people to know that yes you can have periods in your life where you experience heightened anxiety and it can be really crippling but that doesn't that does not mean to say it's going to you know be looking over your back shoulder every day for the rest of your life yeah i picked this up from tara brock who's like a buddhist meditation teacher and psychologist um Mm -hmm. and i no longer refer to it as my anxiety or i try not to i refer to it as the anxiety because it really is a universal thing that we are all um dealing with exactly i mean that's uh, those those language changes and those mindset changes are so powerful to just you know like i'm the same like i never say like oh i have anxiety but like i don't have like this anxious ball beside me like i have a heartbeat that's what i have and you know sometimes it's more stimulated than others and sometimes it's more strained than others but it's not it's not this thing you're dragging around with you yeah and that's really important (laughs) I love that you sh- stress in the that you stress in the addressing part um, that it's about whatever works for you because that's very much the theme with my podcast as well and with my coaching. Uh, yeah. Nothing. I think the whole reason coaching exists is because not everything's going. Like if if there was one thing that worked for everyone, I'd be out of a job, right? Because like we have to figure out what works for you. I feel like the wellness industry really sprang up out of as a a response to people being burnt out and super stressed and all this, all this self-care talk all the time. And sometimes I feel like it's just, you know, shoved down people's throats and they're just trying to add on self-care and add on wellness. And they're trying to subscribe to an idea of wellness that looks good on social media or sounds good. Or, you know, like I remember just so voraciously consuming articles from mind, body green. And I loved that website and it could have been 15 articles a day of different ways that I should be taking care of myself. And what was meant as, the antidote became part of the problem. And I think that people need to sometimes take a break from self-care even and be like, you know, we can't be constantly trying to better ourselves and improve ourselves. Sometimes, some days we need to just curl up and watch shitty TV. And that is ironically kind of self-care. We need to find like the word self is in in self-care. It's so important that it's what works for you because otherwise you're going to start being hard on yourself. If you don't achieve it, you're going to start, it's a tool to measure your self-worth against and that can become really detrimental. So whatever works for you is as long, like I say, as long as it's not harming you, that's all that matters. And for me, it really is honestly, like at the moment, my ultimate moment of self-care is like getting under my duvet and watching some real housewives of Beverly Hills. Um, amazing. I'm glad, I'm glad that's popular over there. <laughs> it's very, well, I mean, this is a niche, a small but loud group of us who are fans. <laughs> well, I am dying to hear about your experience. Yeah. Because you had said it's really only something in the last year that you had started to vocalize. Oh, yeah. Um, do you mind me asking what age you are? I'm 29. 
29. I don't know why I just knew you're going to say that. Maybe because I Googled you beforehand. <laughs> so only really in your late 20s, you're like, hold on a second. Maybe there is something going on underneath the hood here. Yes, but it's one of, you know, recently I was actually talking in therapy and I sort of compared my journey with anxiety to my journey with being gay in that I think we really underestimate the power of denial. Mm. Um, and that, you know, so I was in School of Rock when I was, uh, that came out when I was 11. Mm -hmm. um, and immediately I was called the gay kid from School of Rock, right? So for the next 14 years, uh, and I, I didn't even know if I was gay. I didn't even know what being gay was at the time. All I knew is that it was an insult, right? Because it was mm -hmm. 2003 and there was not any, there was very little LGBTQ referencing items in the media besides myself. And, um, and it was just, uh, and I remember people would use gay to insult you. They would use it mm -hmm. alongside words like girly and wimpy and um, crybaby, right? Things to make you feel like you were not measuring up to the other boys in your class, right? Um, and so to be instantly referred to as the gay kid from School of Rock, not even knowing if I was gay um, and only having just like been myself in the movie, yeah. um, was really hard. It was, it was quite traumatizing. Um, and I think what was beautiful about my character is that so many young boys were able to watch the film and be like, oh my gosh, there's someone sassy and effeminate and just like me, right? And who who isn't afraid to speak his mind and be accepted for it, right? But my real life was nothing like that. I went right. back to school where I was um, told how unacceptable I was, right? So it was- And um, it's such a formative age. I mean, it's hard enough at any age, but to be 11, like, cause at that time of your life, you haven't even really fully developed the part of your brain that helps you rationalize yeah. and be logical. You, like at that point, it's all experiences that are getting lodged in your brain for the future. Yeah. Yeah. And then like before I even had any idea as to whether I liked boys or not, I just knew I said to myself, you will never be gay. Like, right. I I became homophobic to the extent that I I suppressed even the notion of being gay. Right. So mm -hmm. it was like by the time I did potentially have feelings for boys, I was already I already hated that part of myself. And I said, wow. absolutely, absolutely not. Right. Um, and I didn't come out until senior year of college. What age was that? Eight years ago. So 21. Okay. <laughs> um, the reason I kind of compare my anxiety story to my coming out story is that I think clearly anxiety accompanies this inner narrative that there's something inherently wrong with me. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, anxiety is going to naturally accompany that. I actually just helped my parents move and I discovered a journal in one of my old memory boxes. And I remember on your first episode of your podcast, you talked a lot about the physical reactions you were having. And I actually experience a lot of repression, experience a lot of repression when I try and talk about my younger days, um, things mm -hmm. I've like blocked out. But um, I remember now as I was reading back in my journal, I used to come home from school with migraines, with body aches. Um, I think that my body was really taking a toll from the amount that I was trying to convince people that I was not just the gay kid from School of Rock, right? All of the resistance that you were creating in your yeah. body just from resisting what is. And that's often like the biggest roadblock with anxiety is just resisting yeah. what is. And it's mad how much energy you can create in your body just like with that resistance, isn't it? Yeah. 
And then I went to high school and I thought maybe everything would change. Right. But the moment I walked into high school, I heard the whispers. Is that the gay kid from School of Rock? And, um, you know, we talked at the beginning of this, how I lucked out being in a popular movie, but I also didn't luck out because even when I went into college, one of the first people I saw on campus was like, were you in a movie? Um, So it followed me everywhere I went. Um, Did you hate it at the time? Oh, I hated it for so long. Um, I remember in college, someone came up to me in the cafeteria and was like, I heard you hate it when people ask you about School of Rock. And I was like, well, I don't, I don't hate it. I just, I don't ask you about what you did when you were a kid, you know? Um, (laughs) So it's, um, but I've grown to love it because of when I talk about it now, it it means something to people, you know? Yeah. And you've you've now kind of owned the experience and, and you've taken it all back, like, you know, even I think when you, we first started messaging you, you introduced yourself as that gay kid from School of Rock. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, which is amazing. Hey, this is who I am. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, hey, it's a reference point, and I think it cuts to the to the core of what's going on here. And um, but uh, so I so you I went remember, to you went to college, yeah. Well, actually, I went to high school. Oh, high and school I remember yeah. I have early images of me in high school, like with hand sanitizer at the top of my locker, and I know that that's not a sign of anxiety, but I was very um actively like in between every class like I had this intense hand cleaning ritual Mm -hmm. and I um I would like spritz my face with this thing and just I had to be perfect right I was constantly adjusting my uniform so that I uh there there was this massive fear of imperfection right um Mm -hmm. and and these were the imperfections that you could control yeah, yeah 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 and then what was interesting is that the um the ways in which I was controlling them, I also felt shame about because I knew that they weren't like cool. Like it wasn't cool to like wash your hands like every five seconds. Well, now it is because of COVID, but um, you <laughs> yeah. know, or, like- You were just ahead of the game. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, and it wasn't, it wasn't cool to be like adjusting your uniform. It was cool not to care, right? But I cared an insane amount in my opinion. I cared too much. Um, and so I, I started to find this balance of not caring or like appearing like I'm not caring, but perfect, um, but caring intensely inside about what people thought of me. Um, but I wouldn't, I would, I wouldn't call it anxiety until like this past year, which um, I just think goes to illustrate the power of denial because I was also like, you already have this one thing wrong with you. Like when I was younger and I mm. knew that I couldn't be gay, I was like, you are already wrong you cannot have another thing wrong with you that you need to fix because it would yeah. be too much you know what I mean and, and actually the anxiety was because of the resistance so yeah. they were you know you you probably felt like they were two separate things that you were dealing with but they were one and the same yeah and then you know the body keeps the score right so now all these years later I still experience anxiety well we all experience anxiety but I um this past summer, I was having a really tough go of it for several weeks. Um, mm-hmm. I kept getting stuck in that loop that I know you talk about the yeah. the mind body loop. Where, um, and you know what was what's kind of been the the fix for me? And I, I was so excited to listen to your episode about it. Which one? Uh, acupuncture. Oh no way! Yeah, that was a big deal for me as well. So helpful. The very first night that I got back from acupuncture. I remember my brain was doing its usual overthinking anxiety thing, Mm -hmm. but my body was not participating. And it was so cool. My, and my brain got bored because it was like, I don't have your body on board anymore to like, to torture you, you know? Yeah, that's amazing. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I thought it was a really cool experience. 
Yeah, for, I mean, for me, the acupuncture just really helped with the physical symptoms, just calming down, like just the intensity of the of the physical anxiety. And for me, like helping just restore balance to my hormones to, to be able to sleep, which, you know, is such a huge driver of anxiety. If you're not sleeping, like it all feeds into to one. But yeah. yeah, it's not many people who reference like acupuncture as something that well, I know was a thing that I did religiously at the time. But it's cool that it, that it helped you. Yeah. I mean, underneath all this, there was also a lot of frustration. Like when I finally learned what anxiety is, right. I'm like, Mm -hmm. I don't think I would have accepted it if someone told me because of all the denial, but I was like, why, why has no one put it in these words for me? Right. Like why, why has it been all this time treated as something that's like a mental illness? Right. Yeah. And because our perceptions of, of anxiety would be like movies and TV where someone like completely loses their mind and has such visceral panic attacks or locks himself in a room. Like there's, that's one end of the spectrum, you know, but, but anxiety can show up in lots of different ways. Like there's so many common mind traps that people wouldn't identify as, you know, part of anxiety, but they are like overthinking or personalization where you always think someone's bad mood is about you or like, they're all, they're all little like loops. Like I say, that we can get stuck in that, that are perhaps anxiety it's a way that anxiety is showing up for us in, in a way that we need to address something else that's going on. Yeah. And I guess for so long, you didn't think you had anxiety because n- nobody articulated it in the way that could just feel like a sense of just general uneasiness throughout your day. Like that's all it can be. It doesn't have to be a complete meltdown in the yeah. middle of your classroom where you have to get sent home. It's just trying to find these little ways to cope and control what you can yeah. control so that you feel like you can get through the day. Yeah. And I also grew up in a very temperamental home, you know, and there was a lot of, um, there was just a lot of, and I mean, we all saw me in the movie, right? I was, I, I was a determined little bugger. And Mm -hmm. I feel like I'm so grateful for that. Right. Because even to this day, letting my therapist in on the fact that I have anxiety, um, or that I'm dealing with anxiety was difficult because the part of me was protective of it. Like I've been dealing with this by myself almost impeccably for however long that I've been dealing with it. Right. Obviously mm-hmm. not as good as I thought I was. Right. But it's, um, it, I, I felt like almost like a protective mother of like my kid. Right. I was like, this is, I've been dealing with this since before, like I even admitted to having it. Right. So it's like, mm-hmm. um, or admitting that it's something that I'm dealing with. So it's like, I don't know if you've ever had that experience that like you're very like protective of it. Yeah. There's comfort in the discomfort because that's your, that's your familiar place. Yeah. Like you don't even know what I've been through or like what I've, what I've managed to control. You know what I mean? Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com 
slash host. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. So you, you obviously mentioned that, you know, you became almost homophobic towards yourself before you came out. So there's obviously a lot of shame there internalized. Do you think that you have struggled more with the shame around being gay or the shame around anxiety? Oh, the shame around being gay, I think lives in a lot of, uh, or just around being queer lives in a lot of queer people their entire life. Right. I think it's, um, it's something that you learn to live with and, and to love these parts of yourself and to try and emerge as a more authentic, um, self-accepting version, right. Of yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would definitely say the shame around being gay was like the, the big one, the big one, but I've been out for, wow, has it only been eight years now? That's crazy. And I'm, you know, I, I, I'm a, I'm the gay life coach. Right? Yeah, <laughs> I'm like, yeah. a, I, I work with a lot of people to develop confidence and acceptance and authenticity. And I think that's part of the determined little bugger I described. I, when I, when I realized that I, was gay. And then I realized also that I had no level of self-love. Um, I quickly deep dove into, okay, so how does one love oneself? How does one start to heal from all this kind of stuff? And how, how did that impact the anxiety when you became more accepting of that part of yourself? I think the anxiety became clear in that some of the biggest tools with healing my shame has have been like mindfulness and meditation and being and presence. I take a very spiritual approach to my work often, you know, um, and just mindful awareness. Um, and that's also the work that I do in coaching. Um, but awareness is a beautiful tool because it's our greatest agent for change, but it also is a little bit of a double-edged sword because being aware doesn't necessarily mean that you're not suffering. Mm -hmm. Um, you can be aware of your suffering and still be suffering. Um, and so, I just started to increase my awareness to the point that it became undeniable that there's an element here that I'm not addressing. You know what I mean? So the anxiety in itself didn't improve for you just because you came out? Well, my first couple of years of the closet, absolutely not because, um, and I've talked publicly about this often, you don't get to flip a switch on 14 years of hating yourself, right? So um, instead what happened is I immediately started to gain approval in all these different ways and, or try and prove myself in all these other ways. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. how many, how many successful, could I be in a successful relationship as a gay man? Right. Or like, could I, could I be the most impressive looking gay man or, um, all these different ways to then prove myself almost because you spend your whole life saying you're not going to be this thing. And then you are this thing. So how do you make up for it almost, you know, Mm -hmm. How do you justify it? I suppose you're trying to look for, we're always looking for that justification of how, how we are as we are you know, just to be as we are, we're trying to justify it all the time. Yeah. And then, you know, I, I feel like I've aged a lot in the past eight years, but I also feel like I've, my outlook is simpler. I I'm more accepting of my situation. Um, I'm not as competitive. I'm not, um, are you less hard on yourself? Oh yes. Much so. Um, self-compassion as you've talked about a lot has been such a beautiful tool. I think that awareness and 
self-compassion are, are together are mm-hmm. really the most powerful ways we can address these things. So how, how has the anxiety been manifesting for you in recent years? Like you said that you had a hard time over the summer. How is it showing up for you? And are you more clear on where that's coming from now? Or do you think it always goes back to the same source? Mm, yeah, the source, I think, changes. Um, but often, I'm not really. I mean, uh, it, yes and no. It's uh, My anxiety tends to mainly focus around doing, overdoing um, my to-do list, getting mm-hmm. overwhelmed, overthinking. Um, you also have to remember that an element of being a child actor is that um, I was professionally working at age 11. So I've... Yeah, unthinkable for most people, you know? Yeah, I mean, I had... I had mono after the movie because I remember that's like how how uh, exhausting of an experience it was. You know, yeah. I think my body just like took a toll. And then, yeah, I mean, and I just haven't, I hadn't stopped, you know. Then I went to college for theater. I got out of college. I not only was trying to be the best gay man out there, but I was also working in radio and I was, I decided to become a singer songwriter and I started to release music and I was doing off-Broadway shows and regional credits and- Doing a um, lot just doing, 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 holding a bunch of things up at once. And then, you know, I, I've never said this out loud on my podcast, but I remember when the pandemic hit, part of me felt grateful. Mm. Obviously I was very anxious about the world because I think I'm a good person, right? Um, mm-hmm. But I was so grateful that I was being told that all I had to do was sit home and that that was the best thing I could do right now. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that you weren't alone in it because the whole world was slowing down with you and we could all just breathe a sigh of relief for a yeah, moment. Yeah, I was like, you have to slow down. And I had already been very invested in slowing down work, you know, but yeah, there's the whole knowing in your mind and then knowing in your body, right? And I mm-hmm. knew in my mind that I needed to slow down and I was reading all the books and doing all the meditation, right? But it's to actually slow down, you know, is a whole different story. And how did that make you feel then when you slow down in your mind? Well, I mean, the reason we're all moving so fast, I think, is because we don't, we don't like what's going through our mind. <laughs> I know, you um, want to get away from it all the time. That's why mindfulness and meditation is so hard for people who are struggling with anxiety, because you want to get out of the moment when the yeah. key is to just allow for the moment that you're in. We're all, most of us, the mo- majority of the planet is operating unconsciously, right? To, mm-hmm. um to avoid being, which is so ironic because if we just were to be present, that is the only state in which pure joy, peace, and happiness can arise. You can have like circumstantial peace, joy, and happiness, um, but it it will always be short-lived if it comes from a state of unconsciousness or a state of doing. Um, Whereas if you're living in a present mindful way and actually understanding that joy, peace, and happiness come from within, um, that is really the only way to guarantee yourself long-term happiness. And these are things that I believe on a mental level, right? But I'm trying to do the the work of, of yeah. being the, the human that um, embodies those things. You know what I mean? I mean, it's definitely easier to just conceptualize them and reflect on these ideas and stuff than to actually put them into action is, is really, really difficult. And I think especially for an anxious mind, it's very hard to be, I think I really, I really hated that for a long time. I remember reading Eckhart Tolle's, yeah. Tolle's book about 
just you know in one of his first chapter was like and I just sat there and I just looked at the tree and I became one with the tree and all my anxiety of all my years just completely fell away and I was like I hate you it's not that simple (laughs) and this is so frustrating because I'm trying to be present and actually I want nothing more than to be not in this moment right now because it's so grim that I think that it's it's particularly hard to get to a point of being able to sit with the shit feelings of anxiety and be like, let this happen, let it happen. Because what like, and trying just to listen. And I don't know that this past summer, for example, the, like it wasn't working. I, I, I do consider myself fairly, I don't know if this is even like a real saying, but fairly skilled at meditation or, or, or mindfulness tools. Right. But yeah. none of it was, if you're in a wave of cyclical anxiety, it is really hard to sit down and, and not be anxious. Um, really hard. Really, really hard. And so, um, yeah, the acupuncture was pivotal for me. And I, I, there's a lot of routes people can take. And if they listen to your podcast, they'll discover them all, right? There's a lot of different ways to um, step out of that cycle. Yeah. But yeah, I think one of the things I love that Eckhart Tolle says in that book is that his suffering was so intense. And Byron Katie too, she's a spiritual thought leader and she her suffering was so intense. And often if you think that you're so far away from ever being like present or uh, just in a state of being or at peace with yourself um, because you just have so much going on in your mind, actually conversely, sometimes the suffering might make you more susceptible to being able to step out of that because you have more to like work out off of, like you have Mm -hmm. more tangible, um, feelings of of inadequacy or or tangible narratives that are going through your mind that you can hold in your hand and actually step out of you know what I mean does that make any sense how I'm illustrating that yeah absolutely you mentioned the denial element of it and I'm curious was there was there a moment that the anxiety got so difficult that you had no choice but to confront it and say look I need to do something about this now like what was that moment and and what was going on in your life at that time you know and you know what's so funny is that even when I was closeted I remember like I would go and meet up with boys (laughs) and um but we would we would just hang out to the point where I could leave that experience and be like well that wasn't gay um I like denial is really tricky, right? Like I was able to convince myself that like what we did was just something friends would do, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and similarly, like for many years, I joked like, oh, my anxiety, you know, I, I use it as a joke, like culture uses it, right? We yeah. we talk about it as, oh my gosh, my anxiety is keeping me from doing this, right? Um, or it's keeping me all high strung and blah, 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 blah. But actually admitting that it was something I was suffering from, um, was like a totally different layer. Mm-hmm. Um, and that came, yeah, there was like, I don't know, six to eight weeks this summer where I was, um, every day I was on edge and I wasn't sleeping and I was constantly tired and I couldn't think straight. And I I was crying a lot. I had a lot of panic attacks. Um, I was also working a really stressful job at the time, um, a job where I was in service to others in really high stakes situations. And so I was taking on that too. And yeah, it was just, it was, I, I, my life for a while just became about trying to not suffer. (laughs) Yeah. I just want to get through the day. Like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, sometimes that's all you can do. And then you, you reached a point where you said, okay, I need to, 
I need to try and, and understand this. I need to try and confront this and get on top of it. Yeah, pretty much. And I kind of, I walked into therapy and I was like, I want to have a conversation as if I'm admitting <laughs> that I have anxiety, right? Like as if you've diagnosed me, yeah. can we, can we talk about it in that sense? Cause I think he had also been really sensitive to the fact that I was worried about this idea that there's something wrong with me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and I don't think, you know, I think I'm lucky to have found a therapist that isn't really like quick to diagnose anyone or anything. Right. Yeah. So it's like, um, you know, he wanted to talk about it when I was ready to talk about it. And I was like, let's, let's talk about this as if this is something that I'm, I cannot escape, right. That I need to yeah. face. And he was like, this feels like a big conversation for you. And I was like, yeah, I think this is going to be big. Um, and then it was, it, it was, and then actually that kind of was also though a bit triggering in that the anxiety was so excited to have more anxiety to focus on. Yeah. And admitting it did not at first make it better. Um, no. Made it much, much worse. <laughs> yeah. um, and then understanding it was a huge tool. Um, and then I was just about to, you know, maybe go see a psychologist and and go for medication. I had listened to your medication episode and I, of course, was suffering some of the stigma that society has around medication, which mm-hmm. I thank you for that episode because it's been super helpful and I've done a lot of other research as well. Um, but I was also, I, I guess, I don't know if this was denial or not, but I was also like, I'm not always anxious. It does come in waves for me. Yeah. And my, he did ask my therapist and he was like, I don't know that you have the symptoms of clinical anxiety. And I, I was, I had been curious about acupuncture for a long time. I'm such a believer in Eastern medicine to begin with. And I, I, you know, that's the stuff I read. That's the stuff I coach through. Um, and I was like, let me just try acupuncture. And then sure enough, it was, it was really pivotal along with your podcast. And, but so much of that, apart from just like listening to the podcast or doing acupuncture was just the fact that you put yourself back in the driving seat and you were curious about the anxiety and about, you know, trying to, to just better understand it. And often that curiosity piece is such a huge part of managing it and owning it and turning in towards it and saying, okay, what's going on here? Like, I, 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 I hear you. I see you. I know that you're trying to point me it's a anxiety is always a signal that you need to pay attention to something mm-hmm. but so much of where you've how you've you know gotten to a point of owning it is is really just being willing to tease it apart and unpack it and ask yourself the tough questions and sit with the shit feelings and mm-hmm. try different things and and the self-compassion which sounds like you are really good at which is amazing because when I was trying to first get on top of anxiety myself that was like the last thing I ever got to I mean I was so hard on myself and I've talked about this so much but it's just so much easier to be self-critical because we think that that will be self-motivating. We think right. like tough love will just make the anxiety pop out of us or make us just get up and get on with it. And actually what we're doing is we're further stimulating the stress response. And this was mind blowing for me because I always thought self-love, I was like, you know, the way I was in the beginning of the book, I was like rolling my eyes and being like, just bloody well, tell me what to do to make it better. But actually like when I understood the, the science of the neuroscience of, of yeah. how self-compassion can, when you say to yourself, okay, like this is how I'm feeling. Like, how can I help myself right now? What yeah. would make me feel better? What's one thing I could do right now or today that would make me feel a little bit lighter um, and how unbelievably powerful that is at like a biological level. That was like, that's probably the most recent and the last piece of the puzzle for me in terms of really anxiety 
being something that barely knocks a feather out of me anymore because I'm just so okay with it. It's because of my ability to be able to say, it's okay that you feel this way. Of course you feel this way. Look what's going on right now. Look, you're just getting through, you know, we're all just living through a global pandemic, which we constantly underestimate. And I'm sure that had something even on a, on a subconscious level to do with what you were experiencing over the summer. Yeah, no, absolutely. And especially because this summer things were, we were re-emerging. I read, I wrote an article about it actually um, and published it. It was um, about how everyone, it was about this past pride and they went to go celebrate. And it was one of my first times being out in public and around everyone. And um, everyone just seemed like they hadn't just spent a year and a half scattering themselves all over their apartments um, and unpacking who they are. And I'm like, has everyone else not been like deeply sitting with themselves for a year and a half? And are they just able to pack all that back up and act like it hasn't been happening? Um, And I was like, I was like, no, 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 I'm, I still feel like all my shit is all over the place and I need a moment. (laughs) Um, And so it was, it was, it was tough. Yeah. Um, To further your point though, about the, just like this whole, the self-compassion element. I still think that the language we're using around this, we're still in the minority. Cause if you think about it, like the majority of society is still based around this idea of doing, we are a completely forward moving society. Even, even coaching is meant to be a forward moving process. Right. But I try and, um, I try and get my clients to pause, be present with what's going on. And then we move forward from there. Right. Not just Mm -hmm keep moving forward off of the existing issue. <laughs> yeah, we're all like I think we're all very afraid of staying still because because we're afraid like culturally from like of the idea of a plateau being a negative thing and mm-hmm. staying still and like you know that's what propelled me into that job that I didn't that didn't suit me very well when I, my anxiety really came to a head. It was things were actually at the time very good. I was in a very good place. I was really enjoying my job. I was being challenged in a, in a, the positive ways, but I thought because we all have this belief that life has to be difficult yes. in order for us to be improving and moving forward that I then thrust myself into a situation that wasn't good for me. And I think that's a huge, huge thing. It's this cultural obsession with, you know, oh, well, if I'm not being challenged, then I'm stagnating. Or if I'm not moving forward, then I'm just going to fall off the face of the earth. And we, there's, I think there's a cultural shame around, you know, just being for a while. And like, whether that's just in the moment or whether that's like letting yourself just kind of sit into something comfortable in your career and just get your paycheck and enjoy your weekends (laughs) and enjoy, you know, that seems like so in the nineties and the the naughties of like, you know, the end goal and all this kind of stuff that we talk about, like that would have just unheard of. And now I think it's starting to change in that. Right. But we're being forced to, we don't have an option anymore. If we we keep going, we're going to, you know, the world's going to (laughs) end. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, even recently I was, I asked one morning, I was just like out of curiosity. I had never done it before. I said, Hey Google, which is, Oh, now it's going to, Oh, it didn't go off. Uh, I was like, uh, share with me an inspiring quote. And the quote it shared was like, if you're not blah, 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 you better do this. Like, and it was very like uh, motivating and like get up and get out of bed kind of thing. And I was like, oh my gosh, could you leave me alone? (laughs) I was hoping for something like, you're already great. (laughs) I know, like Google Um, just shamed you first thing in the morning. (laughs) And I was like, no. And how does it feel for you now, I mean, it is such a recent thing for you to have kind of had that hard time. Yeah. Why do you think you find it difficult being as 
as open and as you are and being a life coach and being spiritual and being connected to, you know, all these different Eastern philosophies, why do you think you find it hard? Is it because of that comfort in the discomfort of anxiety? Or do you feel that if you talk about it and you, you put it out there, you're kind of letting go of it or something. And that's a bit of a scary prospect. Well, I, well, I also just think that there's so much stigma. Um, I know, I know that just eight months ago I was, I was afraid to talk about it because I didn't want to admit that it was something I struggled with because I didn't want someone to think that there was something wrong with me. Were you afraid of how it would affect your, your, your work? Like, would you be less likely if you, as a singer songwriter, or if you were acting or something like, would people be like, Oh, we better not because he might just be a flight risk or something like, is that, is that a cause for concern? Well, no, what's so interesting, Caroline, and I don't know if this is interesting to you. I hope it is, but it's like, um, the anxiety has been there every step of the way as my work as an artist. Um, it got so bad for most artists. Yeah. It got so bad that to the point in high, in college on audition days, when we auditioned for like the school's um, main stage productions, I could not, I I woke up and I instantly like puked. I had like digestive issues. I could not keep food down because I was on this campus where not only were we supposed to be theoretically doing this art form that's supposed to be fun, but we were getting a degree out of it. We had to be the best so that when we graduated, we got representation, right? There was all these competitive elements to it. It was no longer something I was just doing for fun. Like when I was a kid, right? Mm -hmm. I put so much pressure around it and I recently had a really emotional breakthrough in acting class. I'm, I'm acting, I'm in acting class to this day. And um, for three years now, my, my acting teacher has been like, your work is beautiful, but there's a layer of anxiety to it. Um, you can see it in your work. There's a, it's interfering with how raw and present you could be as a storyteller. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm like, yeah, I know. I, I, you know, I, I feel everything that I'm saying in the moment of the scene and I'm having the full emotional experience, but it's sitting right beneath a layer of anxiety where it could be so much more powerful if it just sat by itself. It's like your threat response was activated when you were younger and when people were saying all those mean things to you in school and you are still in a major protective mode by having this layer of anxiety to, to keep an element of the world outside that's yeah. coming through your classes that that's your anxiety has kind of become your coping mechanism in some ways. Absolutely. And, um, you know, because of the work I've been doing as of late, I recently, and I felt it, my classmates felt it, uh, at the end of class, we had to go around and cap one person. Right. Um, and it's really rare to sweep the room with caps. Right. Um, but, um, everyone in the class was just like, Brian, we saw you get beneath that that layer that we've seen in you for like three years now. And, um, and it was, it was such a powerful storytelling experience for me as an artist. And it was, it, it felt so beautiful because not only was it like the payoff of all my work as an artist, but it was the payoff of my personal work too, because yeah. without my work on my, the anxiety I'm experiencing, um, I wouldn't have been able to do that. You know what I mean? I mean, that must've been a huge moment for you. Oh, so cool. That's amazing to have. I mean, the, you could write a, a, a whole other book on acting class as a, as a way to help own your insecurities and your anxiety. Oh, I truly believe everyone should take an acting class. It's the most, it's the best way I think that people can become emotionally intelligent and develop a sense, a sense of self-knowledge. And like, to be honest, nothing terrifies me more than the idea of an acting <laughs> class like that. Even though I'm all about owning our vulnerability, that level of stripping back and being so 
willing to be judged and torn apart is something that I feel like I would just crumble at, but I'm sure it would be life-changing even from like a, just a purely anthropological sort of experience. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're kind of, you're doing, you're doing improv in this podcast, you know, so you, to a degree, you are, you're doing the art form. Um, That's true. I can add that uh, to my resume. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I feel like you also asked about if I was worried if it would affect my like work as a coach or, um, and yeah, I mean, there was, there was, you've talked about this a lot. There was the imposter syndrome element to it too, especially this summer. I'm, I would be coaching people. I was also working for the Trevor project at the time, which is the life-saving work that I was that I mentioned I was doing at the time that was really intense um and I was literally saving lives on like talk like talking to people who were in the brink of crisis right um and I was coaching people through um their through their mindful journey or trying to develop awareness right um meanwhile I was suffering um and so there was a a level of imposter syndrome it's like I'm supposed to be able to to step outside of all this, like I'm trying yeah. to help other people do. And that, that was really hard. And then I think the element of the conversation that explains anxiety and that it's it's very much something I'm pretty much supposed to be experiencing <laughs> um, was really helpful, right? Because it was like, there is nothing wrong with me. I'm just, I'm just, experiencing a very normal mind body reaction and you don't need to be perfectly well adjusted to be able to help other people like that is something that I have had to confront and you know I'm constantly reminded that every therapist has to go to therapy themselves there's no such thing as a perfectly well adjusted finished with all of the self-work person out there if they are if there is I mean they're probably so boring like you said your friend wouldn't want to talk to them you know they wouldn't want to spend time (laughs) with them but it's it's so important to realize that you don't have to put that pressure on yourself. You can also, it's, it's so different to, you know, to take care of yourself. It, we, we naturally find it easier to take care of other people, which, you know, and, and in some ways that's great because that allows you to do your job and allows you to help people with your podcast. You know, you don't have to have all the answers. And I think that that is where you'll be both most effective because you are coming from a real authentic place. You're not coming from an intimidating point of, well, I've come out the other side and this is what you need to do. Like we're all just figuring it out all of the time and uh-huh. allowing for that, just accepting that is just so liberating. And I think, I think that's part of the mental health revolution that we're seeing lately yeah. is that, um, you know, therapists and life coaches and yourself and authors and artists are, are coming forward and being like, this is what I'm suffering with. Um, because this whole like facade of the perfect uh, mental health professional, I don't think is helping anyone. You know what I mean? It's not. No, because it's, we, we can't relate to them. And yeah. we, we don't think, we don't think of them as vulnerable people. We think of ourselves as intensely vulnerable and them as being closed off. And that is just like a recipe for disaster. We need to know that we can take down our barriers. And obviously like, this is something like, I do a lot of talks with different companies. Like I just did a talk with Google and Amazon and PwC and Twitter over the summer. And I've talked about the importance of vulnerability in the workplace. And we've often thought of it as something that negates professionalism, that you couldn't possibly be vulnerable and do your job well or succeed or get ahead. And I remember yeah. reading, I don't know if you ever watched The Hills, but do you remember Kelly Catrone? No, I'm so sorry. 
<laughs> she was in the hills and she was like kind of the villain in it but she had obviously I love my reality tv she had a book called if you have to cry go outside and I remember reading it and trying so hard to internalize it and be like you cannot be a sensitive person you cannot be an anxious person you, like your sensitivity your anxiety or whatever is not welcome in a professional you, you'll get eaten up chewed up and spat out and that was just that was the mantra for so long. And now it's like, hold on a second. When there's no room for vulnerability in the workplace, when a yeah. manager is afraid to show their vulnerability or someone who's looking up to manager is afraid to show their vulnerability, nobody wins. Someone will have imposter syndrome. Someone will feel intimidated. Someone will feel like they can't say when they're having an issue, no problems will be resolved. Mm-hmm. And I just think it's like another, that's my latest kind of thing is, is really like trying to help people understand the place for vulnerability in a professional context in particular to help us problem solve and to help us realize that that's what is common to all of us. And when we start accepting that and start even embracing that, like life just improves in so many ways, whether it's reducing anxiety or helping the bottom line of a business. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't recommend that people go, go cry in their offices, but and no. this is not a, this is not a business setting either, but like last week I was in Nashville recording an album um, and I, you know, halfway through the week, I had for the first half of the week, I felt like the project was just getting away from me a little bit. And there was something I needed to say, but it was very confrontational. And I had, I had some anxiety around it. And I was, um, I'm a very emotional creature. And then on the like midway through the week, um, I started to say what I needed to say. And I was proud of myself for doing so, but I, it, it came with some crying mm-hmm. and, um, and everyone in the room was surprised to see me crying, but I was not because I cry very easily. Um, but I was like, but you know, even that moment of vulnerability, I spent the whole rest of the week really grateful for it because it sort of established the grounds on which to then make the album that I wanted to make. And it made communication so much easier there out because I was no longer sort of like beating around this bush that was eating away at me. You know what I mean? It was like, it was very, it was a very hard, vulnerable moment, but it was so important. But what happens there is that you are instantly dissolving the imposter syndrome because you're closing the gap between how you really felt and what you were putting out to the world. Yeah. Absolutely. And that helps everything that helps the imposter syndrome, it helps anxiety. It helps. It's just, it's, you know, it's such a quick fix, but it's a hard tight rope to walk is to try to cross that path between how we feel internally and what we're putting out to the world. And I think that's been my biggest I suppose skill that I've learned is like there's, there's there's no I don't really struggle with imposter syndrome anymore because I have no problem in voicing the gaps in my knowledge or where I'm where I'm strong where I'm not strong and I, and I do so with confidence because I know that I'm a human being and I know that other people are struggling to accept their you know fallibility and life is easier when we all when we all do but obviously like you you know you and I this is our work now this is what we do we we are entrenched in it every single day and for for so many people it's a really hard road to take to kind of look inward and, and do the work on yourself and get this comfortable with yourself and yeah. get get comfortable with the discomfort and you know it's it's not easy but it's like the greatest work you'll ever do that's one of the reasons I wanted you to help me tell my story with this because I knew that even in this conversation alone there were a few moments where I felt like I was oversharing maybe or not sharing clearly enough or succinctly enough or you know because I've never talked about my anxiety before and you you nip that right in the bed right away I feel like you have no tolerance for imposter syndrome anymore and it's it's in in the best way you know what I mean it's, yeah. it's great I know because it's just like I mean it's just really holding people back and it's if you can get through it it's it's you know and, and I can see that you're working through it at the moment but how I mean I hope 
I feel like I probably didn't help in any way, but was it helpful just to vocalize some of what you've been feeling? And Oh yeah. So important. I mean, my, my main mission was just that I wanted to talk about it. I, I, as an artist at this point in my career, it's hard to go through something and not share it I know. Um, yeah. or, or like, and then of course there becomes the element of, uh, I think it's the Brene Brown quote, vulnerability without uh, boundaries is not vulnerability, right? So I was like, how how do I want to talk about this? You know, how what is my initial language around this going to be? And I was like, I think the podcast is a good place for it. And then I was like, I think Carolyn is would be a would be a great um, guest. And and yeah, sure enough, it it felt really good. I feel really comfortable. My armpits are a little sweaty, <laughs> but I think that's a good sign. Um, I think so. Well, look, you know, as much as it's, it's never easy to be vulnerable because the definition of vulnerability means kind of being open to attack and there's a fear of judgment and fear of putting yourself out there. But I really hope, and I believe that when people hear you share your experience and talk about it, you will have given them so much reassurance and comfort and strength in knowing that you know, someone as successful as you, because someone could look at your Instagram and be like, whoa, this guy has achieved so much. He's doing so much. He just, he is so, you know, accepting right. of himself. He owns himself. They look up to you. And, you know, that is so powerful. So the fear of the vulnerability isn't, is always worse than the reality. I think that the, the, the fear is bigger than the, the reality. So like, let your, I always say like, let your faith be bigger than your fear. Right. Yeah. No. And especially because everything we're talking about, as we said at the very beginning, it's just, it, there's nothing to be afraid of. It, sh- it should be talked about. It's, it's uh, everything that I've gone through this past year, even if it was really hard, it, it is very, very normal. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, if anyone was to ever react unfavorably towards it, it really is more of a reflection on their discomfort with their own vulnerability and, you know, maybe their background, their context that helped that, uh, that, that, allows that person to think there's something wrong with it you know so there's always a reason for someone to react negatively to someone sharing their vulnerability and it's never your you as a person sharing it's never your it's never your problem yeah absolutely okay so here we go final five what is the happiest part of your daily routine putting my baby to bed when he's in my arms and I'm giving him his bottle and he's quiet and calm and yeah just knowing that we've done another day but also knowing that i'm gonna get to go put him down to bed and relax (laughs) um i've yet to listen to your episodes of your podcast about the anxiety that came with postpartum um yeah that was a big one i didn't expect that to to come at me because i thought as we have said i thought i kind of had it all figured out and i had this pressure to be like well you've written the book on it now so you better have it all figured out and hormonally and everything just kind of fell off the face of Of the earth yeah so but i'm all good now yeah um you can only give one book as a gift. What book do you give and why? Oh, I, it's a bit cliche, but I really do love Eat, Pray, Love. Oh, wow. Um, I was not, that, that threw me for a curveball. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm you, you took me off, off guard there. So there's probably so many better, cooler books I should recommend, <laughs> but I just feel like it's a book that I just can go back to so often. And there's just so many little pearls of wisdom in it that just sort of sit well with me yeah I'm probably gonna lose major street cred now for saying that <laughs> yeah everyone's gonna stop listening to your podcast yeah now. I'm done um <laughs> name a thing an activity or a person that helps you learn about yourself podcasting an activity that helps me learn about myself for sure being 
you know, open and having conversations with different people from all over the world and always learning something. Like I'm always learning new things about how to like better manage anxiety all the time. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, I wish I had to put that in my book, but it'll just be more books. So definitely podcasting has, has been like, it's such a pleasure and it's actually kind of my, how I make my living now as well. Yeah. And it sort of, it sort of forces you to ask yourself tough questions. Like, who am I? What do I want to say? Um, like what's, what's important to me. Right. Um, exactly. which are, which are all really like self-defining questions, I suppose. Yeah. Um, what do you love the most about yourself? Oh, hmm. I love how these days I am so accepting of myself as I am, how I am, however I am, whatever day it is. I think for so long, I tried to be another kind of person. I tried to fit into a mold that didn't, I didn't fit into. I tried to go with the flow and, and yeah, just in so many ways, I just resisted my nature and you know, now I'm unapologetic about what I like, what I don't like, what works for me, what doesn't, what I think suits me and what doesn't. Like, for example, I remember just torturing myself over not being the kind of person who like loved going to a five-day festival and camping and just, <laughs> I, I was like, oh, and I thought for so long like that it was just my anxiety holding me back. And I thought, well, you know, you're an idiot. You need to get over this. This is what cool people do. And one of the chapters that I had in my book and one of the big questions I always ask people to ask is know the difference between your personality and your anxiety. If anxiety Mm. wasn't in the picture, is this something that you would want to do? If the answer is still no, then it's your personality talking and it's your nature talking. And to be honest, if I didn't feel any anxiety in in that situation, I still have no desire to be knee deep in mud, staying in a shitty tent. So, and that's like just one example of, of me trying to be a kind of way that I wasn't for so long. And now I'm like, hell no. My husband goes off to festivals by himself. I'm like, <laughs> I will go to a nice spa break, please. Thank you very much. But yeah, just that that ability to just be like, that no, this is me. Take it or leave oh, it. I love that. Are you introverted? I think I am a bit of both. And I think the word is ambivert. So oh, I... Okay. I, I am, I charge inwardly. I'm, I, I need to spend a lot of time alone. I love my own company. I don't particularly like being on the phone all evening when I'm like, when I have free time, especially now with the baby, I just want to completely switch off. But then I am quite a social person and I need to share, like we said in earlier on. So I think it's a bit of both. I think sometimes I need to fill my tank with people and sometimes it drains my tank. It depends on the day. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I can relate to that. I recently saw a, a, a GIF on Instagram that was like a, man like it was an actual news story man got lost hiking and for 24 hours and wasn't found because he didn't answer the phone for a rescue service because it said unknown and I was like oh. I would totally I would totally do that because I'm not going to answer the phone <laughs> if it so says unknown. Um, <laughs> um, what are you celebrating about our time together today just the opportunity to connect with you from across the ocean and to have such a really authentic conversation with someone like isn't it amazing that like we've never met and yeah, we've so had cool. a, probably a deeper conversation than you would have with some people that you would consider yourself so close to yeah and how powerful that is and just stripping back the layers of pretense and getting right to it and how just how how lucky I am that this is something I get to do yeah. And you do such a beautiful job at it. So thank you. Oh God. I literally, I was like, I've not prepared for this in any way. I have no question prepared. I'm just going to hope that we have a good conversation. It's in your blood at this point. Oh God. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to know what, like, is there anything coming up for you that people can 
see you in or hear, hear you in or follow you in or. Yeah, I definitely encourage them to check out the podcast. It's uh, the, the Gay Life Coach podcast. It's wellness for the queer community. Uh, we tackle all different topics from a queer wellness focused lens, usually with a tinge of mindfulness, awareness, presence, because that's my wheelhouse. But uh, we try and look at it from as many angles as possible. And then, yeah, I did mention that I was down in Nashville recording an album, but I don't have too many details about that yet. Um, and yeah, that's that's all I can tease at the moment. Amazing. That's a good teaser. I have nothing to tease. I'm literally <laughs> just like, I, I put on my Instagram stories, uh, me making a cup of tea the other day. That is how, <laughs> that's where I'm at at the moment. So not a, lot, not a whole lot going on over here. <laughs> how can uh, folks connect with you? So Instagram is the best place. And I'm very uncreatively, just my name, at Caroline Foran on Instagram. And then from there, I have like links to my podcast, my books, my journal. I share lots of different quotes and things that I find helpful they're all very bullshit free from what I like to say and then I mean most of the time I'm just documenting my life as a new parent which is very unriveting I've been your uh, your family is beautiful I, I, I recently started following you right because I got into your podcast and then I was like mm-hmm. who is this perfect family in my feed and I was like oh it's Caroline and her beautiful kid <laughs> he is I mean he's beautiful beautiful child but he is like he's a, a hurricane he's a little <laughs> like crazy like tornado in the house but he's he's great he's so full of energy and he just it hurt actually hurts my eyes sometimes to look at him I think he's that beautiful and I don't know if that's just me being super biased or if I just made a really cute baby (laughs) no he's a really cute baby thank you so much for this it's been such a pleasure and I know that people listening on my end will really appreciate you sharing your story and they'll be like oh they're so sick of me talking about my story but so hopefully on your end people (laughs) will appreciate hearing from me but it's been a lot of fun i totally uh appreciate your time and yeah thank you for coming on i think it was a great talk thank you so much brian i so appreciate it Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. The easiest way to access Owning It Real Time is to head to the link in the episode description or episode details, whatever you call them, show notes. You will find the link in there at the top. You can sign up right away for Owning It Real Time and access the full library of 10 situation-specific audio guides that will help you own your anxiety even more than you've ever done before.